Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. The resurrection of your church. In this installment, number five, we're going to look at major roadblocks to breakthrough. We've talked in the past about breakthrough and how the timing is good. In fact, in our previous installment, we looked at major breakthroughs of the church in history, each one that occurred about 500 years apart. We reflected on the present time. Since we are alive about 500 years after the last great breakthrough, the Protestant Reformation, we are at a time right now where God's timing is really good for our churches to have renewal and our nation to experience revival. From a biblical point of view, it appears that North America is ripe for harvest. There are just so many signs of this. Many people think that Christians are not open to hear about spiritual things, not open to hear about the God that they believe in, not open to hear about the Savior, Jesus Christ, not open to hear what the Bible really teaches. Actually, that is a lie. It is a lie of the enemy. People in America are so open, most Christians wouldn't believe it. When we work with churches for a renewal, we work in a three-year involvement that is called Healthy Churches Thrive. And one of the many things we ask them to consider doing during that three years is to take the plunge of faith and the next time they go to a restaurant and order some food, get a name of the server, and when the waiter or waitress returns with the food, let's say the waiter's name is Art, just say, Art, we're going to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray for you? Anything at all? Here's what I can tell you from our research and practice of this over a thousand times. Only about one and a half percent of the people you meet will say, no, I don't want you to pray about anything for me. It's very rare. About three to five percent of the people will say, I don't pray, I'm an atheist. And we instruct people to say, oh, that's okay. Anything I can pray for you anyway? And then these people who just proclaim being an atheist will give you something to pray for. <laughs> like, what kind of an atheist is that? Anyway, it's true, it happens over and over again. It's amazing. But you will discover that 96 to 97% of the people will give you something to pray for. Now think about this. You don't know them. They don't know you. They don't know you're going to ask that. They're at their place of work. In a restaurant, there are people at other tables or booths that may overhear something they say or you pray. And they know that. There are other waiters and waitresses from the wait staff who they know really well because they work with them and they might overhear something that you're praying for as well. So all the odds are against people who are not Christians by and large, and that's what you'll find, the majority of Americans are not practicing Christians. The majority of these waitstaff people will tell you something to pray for, and sometimes it is shocking how intimate and open people are. What you'll learn as well is that all these people that are prancing around a restaurant, smiling and being nice to customers, many of them have a millisecond from their mind some serious issue in their lives, and they will ask you to pray for them. Now, they don't stick around, and you don't ask them to, 
but you just say, that's great. We'll pray for that. And then you just look away at the people you're with and say, let's pray. Do not be deceived by the idea that people in America are not spiritually interested. They may not be interested in some of the things our churches do, and there's good cause for that. We're going to talk about roadblocks, but they are open. This is a fantastic, wonderful time. So yes, we think the harvest is ripe. The only thing standing then in the way is the present state of most local churches. That's really the bottom line. What is holding back God from many Americans? What is holding back our country from revival? Many Christians who make up many churches. Now, I don't mean that unkindly, and I find it really hard to say, but I say it with the understanding that there's hope. We can change because we're talking about the bride of Christ. We are talking about what we have done to the bride of Christ. And we have also seen that in history, this has happened over and over and over again. It does not mean that you and the people in your church are bad people. It does not mean that you're somehow damned to hell. We know you believe in God or you wouldn't be listening to this series. We know that you care about your church or you wouldn't be following this series. So we also know that somehow as Christians, many of us in many of our churches have gotten into a rut that's killing the future of Christianity. But we can go forward. You see, no Christian intentionally gets up someday in the morning with the commitment to roadblock church effectiveness to keep unchurched people away from the grace, the love, and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Nobody plans to do that. We're not talking about something that's intentional. We're talking about subconscious, subtle drift, and it is rampant in churches, and it can be turned around. In this installment, we're going to take a look at three, just three, major patterns or roadblocks to the Christian movement. And I don't mean these unkindly, but they must be understood. Because once we understand the roadblocks that we face, even the roadblocks that we are, and we are part of the roadblocks, many times, if we're willing to do whatever it takes, if we really are committed Christians, if we really want what God wants, if we say the Lord's Prayer and say, your will be done on earth as is in heaven, we want what you want, God, on earth as is in heaven. We want what you want, God, in our church. We want what you want, God, in our lives. If we pray that part of the Lord's Prayer, where we want the will of God, and we pray for it, that the will be done, his will be done, in our church, in our lives, in our families, in our country, if we are earnestly praying that prayer, then we're really not very far away from opening ourselves up to dealing with these roadblocks. So let's take a look at the three most prominent. Number one, there are churches and whole denominations that are caught in what is called syncretism. Think of syncretism as syncing up with something that goes against what we believe. So let's say when you're a teenager and you know you're not supposed to drink, your parents tell you that, the law tells you that, but you're at a party and a close friend says, hey, I'm having a beer. Why'd you have a beer? Well, you want that relationship. You think that it won't have any harm and you have a beer. 
or whatever. There are thousands of examples in everybody's life where you sync up with something that you believe or you have evidence is not right, not best for you, not what God wants for you, but then you do it anyway. In the case of drinking a beer when you're underage, it's against the law. But you sync up with your friend, and that's called syncretism. So to explain this, every church is supposed to be indigenous to every people group it is trying to reach. So if you were a missionary to a group of natives in some remote place of Africa or South America, and they spoke a different language, you could try to make them learn your language, but that would take years, and some people would die without knowing the message that you came to bring about Jesus before you ever got it done. Plus, you'd be telling them in some way that English is a better language than theirs, or you'd be inferring that God speaks English and therefore doesn't really care about them, or a million other bad ideas. And so, it is an indigenous thing to learn their language and use their language, especially the language that they dream in, which missionaries call their heart language. And that has not only something to do with the words we use, the way we say it, but how we celebrate, what we sing, how we sing, what instruments we use in worship. That's all trying to be indigenous. Now, why do we think it's important to be indigenous? Why is it biblical to be indigenous? Because Jesus was. He came to Israel and looked like an Israeli. He was a Jew, like the people where he was planted. He spoke their language, Aramaic at the time, and the people that he communicated with. He came looking like a person. It's called the Incarnation. He didn't come as a robot, although he could do anything he wanted. He didn't come 2,000 years ago looking like a rock star of the 21st century or a famous movie star. He came looking like the people he was trying to reach. That's being indigenous. So that's the way we're supposed to be. However, what if this group that you're trying to reach in this faraway jungle or whatever it is, they don't wear clothes? So are you going to take off your clothes and go naked to be indigenous? No, that would be syncretism. It would go against one of the values you've learned that works well for growing Christianity. What if, like the famous book and the movie called Peace Child, where the missionary was sent to Erie and Jaiwa, north of Australia, and the primary value in that culture was treachery. So if they could trick someone into a trap and kill them, they were the most famous people in the tribe. So does that mean that you have to change Christianity to say that treachery and tricking people, even to death, is going to help bring Christianity to the tribe? That would be syncretism. It's a little complicated, I understand. Mission work is messy. But there are many churches and denominations that are trying to sync up with the latest fads in our secular culture, that the Bible 100%, very clearly, Jesus himself talks about as being wrong. There are several, and they're well known. And there are people that won't like me because I'm saying this. Because they have bought into syncretism and they believe that they can reach more people with the love of Jesus and that to accept these people, even though they are blatantly against what Scripture says in the New Testament, that they can actually, because of the love of people for the sake of Jesus, they can just overlook their blatant sin. That's syncretism. And guess what? At the end of the day, 
it won't work. I'm sorry for those churches and those denominations that are syncing up with the culture and the latest fads that find no evidence for justification in Scripture. Because long-term, people aren't going to respect you because you don't respect your Bible. So why would they follow a book that you can just willy-nilly change? It doesn't work, no matter how attractive it might seem. The second issue, roadblock, adopted by some churches and some whole denomination, is what is called the social gospel. That if you give somebody a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, whether you actually say the name of Jesus or not, that'll get them into heaven. That's mission work. That's evangelism. The mantra for churches like this is, we are the hands and feet of Jesus, which is absolutely true. But Jesus didn't just heal people. He didn't just forgive people. He said, go and sin no more. He taught his followers that he was the Messiah to be believed in, the one who changes lives, not only for this life, but for eternity, to care for people, to care for their needs, to help them with their challenges is the characteristic of genuine Christianity. But to not share the gospel, not make disciples of people, is like feeding people well so that they will be fat and happy when they die and go to hell. Being well-fed is not the way to salvation. But meeting needs that people have is a great way to develop relationships and share the powerful message that changes people spiritually. And some people just get that confused. It's a both and, and always has been, and always should be. If we're going to have a revival, there are churches that all they do is preach and ignore the needs of people all around them that better learn how to do that. There are other churches that meet all the needs of the people and never lead people to Jesus and scripture and discipleship, and they're going to miss out too. This is not rocket science. It's a both and, in balance. Number three, major roadblock, is the Bible-believing Christians who look into the mirror and say, I'm a church member. But it has never, ever, ever occurred to them to look into the mirror and say, I am a missionary. The word mission is a Latin word, comes from the word missio, and it comes from the word to send or sent. And it comes from where Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so also I send you. We are sent people. We are going all the time. As Paul said, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Not the preacher alone, not just the staff, all of us. And so when you look into the mirror, you're going to learn, if there's going to be a breakthrough in your church, you're going to learn to say, I am a missionary. I am an ambassador for the king of the universe. And I'm the one who is to grow my church, not the pastor or the staff. I'm the one who knows these people in my social network. I'm the one that has a relationship with my neighbor, the people where I work. My pastor and staff don't have that relationship. And so instead of trying to bring people to church, start out by taking church to people. Be the church to people. Pray for the unchurched people in your social network. Yeah, list them on a piece of paper. Take all the friends you know that don't know Christ and show no signs of Christianity. Take all the list of relatives. Take all the list of the people where you work, where you have relationships, and all the people who are neighbors or near neighbors, like where you shop, checkout person where you shop, or the person at the gas station where you go in and pay, or wherever you go. 
or where you go to school if you're a student. Those people where you have relationships, those people are your mission field. And if you add up all the people in your church who list all those people, you will find out how large your mission field is in what we call the low-hanging fruit. Christianity is a movement, and movements move through relationships, not programs, not inviting people to a building. Now, as you share your faith with a person with whom you have a relationship and you are a missionary to them, by all means, when they're ready, bring them to church, but not until they're ready. You'd be better off at first inviting them to coffee or whatever works for them, lunch, breakfast, whatever. And the best thing you can do is tell them your God stories. Tell them what God has done in your life. You don't need to quote scripture. In fact, it may sound odd, but that's really not a helpful thing. People today who are not Christians have no clue what scripture means or what it is. What they really want to know is what God has done in your life. And truthfully, if you've been a Christian for more than five years, you've got hundreds of stories. And so that's how it works. So one of the issues that this third roadblock brings up is how do you see yourself as a missionary or a member? Or to say it another way, do you consider a trip to Walmart a short-term mission trip? When you get to that point where you consciously identify yourself as a missionary and are equipped to do mission work, and when that happens with your church, you're going to see breakthrough. Before that, it's going to be a roadblock. Behind all of these three roadblocks, I want to conclude by saying that really the issue behind the issue for all three of these and anything else that holds the church back is, in fact, biblical ignorance. I don't mean to call anybody ignorant, but what I am saying is if you want to learn this stuff, you're going to have to be in the Bible more than you're in the Bible. And so what we do when we work with churches in renewal is we get them into biblical truth. It's been there all along. You just need to retool yourself to become a missionary. You need to meet people's needs and share the gospel. You need to meet people at their level, which is being indigenous without being syncretic. No syncing up with the bad things that people do that are not Christian and not helpful. And you'll begin to see breakthrough. And this will be the foundation of our next installment, number six, how God reignites Christianity, how God will reignite your church. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Also, if you'd like to learn more about this topic, please check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, in stores on September 12, 2017.